Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question. Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a pleasure to have Michael Zeldin back with us again. Uh, Michael is a TV legal analyst uh, since, what, uh, 96. He covered the O.J. Simpson murder trial, Whitewater Lewinsky investigation, the Clinton impeachment hearings, and Gore versus Butch court challenge. And uh, during his tenure in the U.S. Department of Justice, he held various senior positions including Deputy Chief in Narcotics and Dangerous Drug Division. So naturally, we're here to talk to him about the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump. So stick with us, and when we come back, we'll just ask the question of Michael Zell. Hi, and welcome back. Uh, Michael, I'm going to just start off by asking you this question. And, and give me a second to preface it. Um, we have seen, and I was there, when the president of the United States admitted that he was asking a foreign power to, to uh, investigate Joe Biden. There is a transcript, a reported transcript, which is really a memo from the White House, which outlines him asking the Ukrainian president to go after Joe Biden. We have uh, the acting chief of staff, saying there was a quid pro quo agreement. He admitted that in the White House. And then yesterday we saw uh, Mr. Taylor, uh, the former uh, Ukrainian ambassador, outline a quid pro quo agreement. What more do the Democrats need to impeach Donald Trump? The support of the Republicans in the Senate and in the House. They are so far resisting the evidence in front of them, and they are arguing about the process that the Democrats are going through rather than the substance of the testimony that has been put forth so far. And they have said that the process is illegitimate, and the president has said that too, that it's anti—it's not uh, in line with the Constitution. Is that true? No. The— Democrats in the House have rules that govern these things, and the Constitution is silent on whether or not there has to be some full vote of the House before initiation of impeachment inquiry can start. So they're on no um, firm ground legally for this, and there are no um, rules that the House provides for them to get what they want. So they are just yelling about process because there's nothing else to yell about. Why do you think that is, that there's no case to be made for the president? So there's an old lawyer's maxim that when you have the law on your side, you argue the law. When you don't have the law, argue the facts. When you don't have the law or the facts, you argue the process or you vilify the the prosecutor. And that's more or less the time-tested response to people under investigation. Nixon called it a witch hunt. Clinton called it a witch hunt. Trump calls it a witch hunt. That's what people under investigation do. Didn't work out so well for Nixon or Clinton, though Clinton survived removal. He was nonetheless impeached. impeached. And I don't think it's going to work out that well for the president because right now 
Whether or not there's a quid pro quo or not, the evidence is pretty clear that the president used his office to obtain something for personal benefit, not for the national security of the United States or the foreign policy powers that he has as president. Yeah, he he, he pretty much said that himself. But Ambassador Taylor yesterday actually he had if you read that introduction that that 10 page statement that he issued he knew as soon as within 60 days of taking the job that something strange was afoot and he kept copious notes right taylor's testimony is important because the people who have testified previously sunderland and volker and still to be um heard from secretary of energy perry they were all part of the Three Amigos dealing with Giuliani. They were, if you will, right. the co-conspirators in this. Taylor was the outside guy that Pompeo brought in to help him you know, sort of right the ship. And it is Taylor who is the one who's offering this testimony saying, here I am on the outside coming in at Pompeo's request. And lo and behold, within 60, 90 days of my arrival, I see that there is the official foreign policy of the United States. And then there is this private foreign policy being run by Giuliani, Volcker, Sundland, all of which is calculated to have the, the president of the Ukraine, Zelensky, make a public statement that he is investigating the Bidens before the Trump administration will release mon- money from Congress. That's pretty telling testimony. Pretty damning, is it not? It is damning. And the other thing that's important to remember is that the Republicans have been yelling that there is no quid pro quo that has been established. Leave aside whether that's true or not. Do you even need quid pro quo? Well, that's exactly right. That's my point. You do not need a quid pro quo. A quid pro quo speaks in terms of a violation of the criminal laws of the United States. Right. In fact, the Federalist Papers 65 that, that Hamilton wrote explaining what high crimes and misdemeanors stands for means it's an abuse of the constitutional authority you are given. So it's an abuse of power of your office for personal benefit. It does not require a criminal law violation. And so what we're talking and, and impeachment f- is political. It's not criminal. So the the threshold is not as high as it would be for a criminal case. Yes? Well, it's different. The, okay, I, I yeah, don't know whether different. you say high or low. It's a different threshold. It's a different it's it, it, it is the in, in the case of a criminal law violation, there's a statute that says you can't do the following things. And if you do those things, you violate the statute. In the case of impeachment, it says you cannot abuse the powers of your office. And so there is an evaluation that has to be made. Did the actions of the president violate the powers of his office, the constitutional oath that he took to preserve and protect and defend the the Constitution of the United States? And if they do, then it triggers the article of impeachment, and that then triggers a trial in the Senate, and they have to try the president for till till verdict, and if they convict him by two thirds of the Senate, then he's removed. So you've served time as a prosecutor. Well, I don't like to think of serving time. I think some of some of the people I prosecuted <laughs> served serve time, time because I was a prosecutor. <laughs> but you've been but I, around. I was one. <laughs> so that's all I'm going. That's all I'm going to admit to is that I was one. Okay, Mr. President, <laughs> you've been a prosecutor. Thank Would you. you feel comfortable taking this case to court? Well, I don't know all the evidence yet. The the, the with the that, evidence that you have seen. Well, there are two cases that that could be made. From this, the first is 
soliciting a contribution from a foreign national. Under the election laws of the United States, you cannot solicit a contribution from a foreign national. And you think of a contribution as you give me money, that's the contribution. But in fact, the law is different. It says you cannot solicit a thing of value from a foreign national. And so one would think normally that if one has to pay a pollster to conduct a poll, that's a thing of value. If one has to hire a research agency to do opposition research on your opponent, that's a thing of value. So it doesn't have to be money in your pocket. It could be something equal to money. And in this case, the allegation is that the solicitation of the Ukraine was to conduct an investigation so that we can get, in a sense, opposition research on Biden. I think that's a thing of value. I think it's a prosecutable case. Whether a prosecutor would elect to bring it is, you know, discretion of the prosecutor. But I think it makes a a prima facie case for a violation of that statute. Does it? But would you feel comfortable bringing this case if Let's skip the criminal part of it. Would you feel comfortable bringing this case before Congress for impeachment? On the evidence present, I think that there is also a prima facie case that the president of the United States abused the powers of his office for personal gain. And so that, I think, is quintessentially what the framers of the Constitution had in mind when they talked about other high crimes and misdemeanors. So, yes, if I think I were a member of Congress, and this was all the evidence I was going to get because I right. I qualified my answer to say we still have to see all of the evidence. We see have, still have to cross-examine the witnesses and do all those things that you would do in the ordinary course of a, of a trial. But on the paper, on the evidence in front of us, I think, yes, there is a – I keep using the word prima facie, meaning there's a, a threshold Primary, showing right, right. Of, of, of wrongdoing that would merit a review um, by the Senate of an article of impeachment for for that activity. Yeah, on the face of it, it looks like you could go forward. Right. We still have to see, but on the face of it so far, I think there's something that can be uh, argued is a violation of the oath of office, the abuse of the power by the president. So let's make Mick Mulvaney's case. When I, I think, having seen that many times, he was going, look, fellas, this is where it's going to end up. We might as well just cop to it now and say it's okay. I mean, can can you say at the end of the day, Mulvaney was right. This is the way it's done. There's nothing wrong with it. Get over it. Move on. Well, you can. That's. I mean, there are several arguments. If you were, if you will, to analogize it to a, a, a criminal trial. If you were the president's defense attorney, you could argue that I did nothing wrong. Get over it. That this is the way foreign policy is conducted these days, and I stand by my innocence. Or you could say, yes, what we did was wrong, but it's not impeachable, and you could stand on that defense. I think they've got one or the two choices to to make right now. They're they're attacking the prosecutor, which is, you know, as I say, sort of normal in these sort of situations. But they still stand by that we did nothing wrong. We'll see if pressure builds for them to say, you know what, we did do something wrong. This is pressure on the Republicans to say he did do something wrong and it is or it isn't impeachable. That's where I think it's going to head. And I, I've i said this probably, I don't know, a dozen times if I've said it once. But at the end of the day, if you look down the road, I don't think that this goes away without him being impeached. I think the Congress will impeach. And it's going to end up in a trial in the Senate. 
and therefore the future of our republic rests firmly and squarely on the soft, round shoulders of Mitch McConnell. If Mitch McConnell gives Republicans, if he flips and says, hey, I've had enough, enough's enough, and votes to remove Donald Trump, he gives cover to everybody else in the Republican Party. Otherwise, it's going to be a fight to get the 20 that they need for removal. Yeah, I think there are a couple of things to think about here. One is the evidence is gathered. We look at it all. It's on the margins of an impeachable offense, and Congress reaches a bipartisan decision to censure the president so as not to put the country through an impeachment proceeding. I think that's an option and something that people should think about who are elected to um, represent the United States. Would you be in favor of that? I don't know yet. Uh, Again, I'm still sort of hedging my bets, and I want to see more of the evidence. I want to read the transcripts of what Taylor said. I want to hear what Perry has to say. There are whistleblower um, people who were investigated that that, that are part of the investigation in the whistleblower complaint that we haven't yet heard from. So there's still a lot to be learned. Well, is the whistleblower relevant at this point? Well, I don't know that the whistleblower himself or herself is personally relevant. The evidence that the whistleblower put forth is absolutely relevant. And the con- the investigation that the inspector general of the in- intelligence committee, intelligence community did is relevant. So there are a lot of witnesses that we still have to, to hear from. But to, to, your, to, to yeah. answer your question more directly, Brian, so I think there is an, uh, a censure option that 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 if the evidence is on the cusp, may be worth thinking about. If the artic- if the evidence is clear and articles of impeachment are put forth, Mitch McConnell has no choice but to hold a trial. There's no option in the Constitution right. to not hold a trial. And, you know, as the evidence plays out, we'll see who, if anyone, is a profile in courage. If the evidence is compelling, whether they put party over, over politics. There's a story that's told that uh, Richard Nixon brought the senators um, from the Republican side to the White House to ask them, if we go to uh, an impeachment trial, do we have the votes to prevent me from being removed? And he is said to have asked Barry Goldwater, what's the count? How many people if we go to trial? And Goldwater's answer is alleged to have been, you do not have mine, Mr. President. And a few days later, President Nixon resigns because if he doesn't have Goldwater's, he doesn't have the Senate. And so to your question, if he doesn't have McConnell's, he doesn't have the Senate. But I don't know that McConnell, who's up for re-election, is about to do that. So the question is, is there anybody else out there, you know, a a Mitt Romney, a former Jeff Flake or, or Corker or one of those guys who says, you know what? Enough's enough with this. We've we've been through too much, and it's it's not worth going on with this guy. Well, Mitch McConnell is an interesting fellow in that regard. I I think since I've known him, I interviewed him first when he was the county judge executive in Jefferson County, Kentucky, in 1978. I remember going in to do the interview. I was warned Mitch McConnell cares about one thing, and I said, "Well, what's that?" And I was told Mitch McConnell. And I don't think that has changed in the last 40 years. So if Mitch McConnell looks at the polls and sees that he, you know, the grass is greener on the other side, I don't have a problem thinking that he would – because he's not a friend of the president's. He's certainly not a fan of this president's. I don't – I could see him flipping. I think that would surprise a lot of people. But I, I could see under the right circumstances he would vote to remove Trump. 
I th- well, again, everything depends on the evidence. But I think because I see, I disagree there. I think with Trump, with with McConnell, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it has anything to do with evidence. I don't think it has anything to do with logic, other than it has to do with, in McConnell's case, with the numbers, pure numbers. If he sees he's not going to get reelected, keeping Trump, Trump's gone. Well, I, I understand that, and I guess the point that I was driving at, and not to disagree with you at all, no, no, no but I, to, no, 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 is to say. Uh, the the evidence drives the perception, and you're oh, right. Yeah, it's, you're, it's, right. You're, 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 you're right that in the end, it's about politics. And right now, I think we are somewhere north of fifty percent who think that the president should be impeached. If we get north of sixty percent, and we start seeing a coalescence, if that's a word, coalescing yes. of 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 public opinion around the articles of impeachment process, the removal trial process, then I think McConnell, to your observations of him, will follow the public opinion in, in, in deciding what to do. Yeah. I, I, it's going to be an interesting few months. When do you think that uh, if, if we end up with a trial in the Senate, when do you think that'll happen? Well, that's a good question. You know, in, in the case of Clinton from articles of impeachment through the end of the trial was about two and a half months. Nixon was a little bit longer, 170 um, uh, days or something like that from right. from impeachment to trial, but both Clinton and um, Nixon had independent counsels essentially investigating them for quite a long time as the as the run up to it. And since they're not apparently going to be using the evidence that Mueller put forth of obstruction of justice as the basis for an article of impeachment so far, um, then this process is really in the early stages. And I'd be very surprised if they reach a conclusion as to whether or not this is worthy of an article of impeachment but before Christmas. I think you're – yeah, I agree. I think that – so we're looking at April of next year before it could conclude. So let's take uh, hypothetically – they, they vote articles of, of impeachment right after the, the, the first of the year or right before the first of the year. And if you're following the, the Clinton analogy, you've got February, March and half of April before this thing is wrapped up, which is why I say – that if the evidence is on the cusp of this, given that there's an election that's going to soon follow from that April date, whether censure is better or not, and they'll make political calculations about that. Well, I think that a lot of this is all driven by politics. I mean, the um, the Republicans are right in that regard. It is a political – because impeachment is political. It's not criminal. Uh, so this is a, a political maneuver by the Democrats. But – also, to the Democrats' point, there are legitimate concerns about what this president has done. I, I keep going back to this, though. We're sitting here debating whether or not censure, impeachment, removal, removal. the president of the United States, our, this president of the United States, leaving the Mueller report aside, and, and we'll go to that in a second. I do have a question about that, but... Um, just in this regard with the Ukraine, with the Ukrainian government, this seems to me to be much more serious in its scope than whether or not you were lying about receiving fellatio from an intern and lying about it. I, I agree with that. I, I think that like Nixon in, in some respects, leave aside whether a crime was committed or not, right. his his conduct and President Trump's conduct implicate 
national security concerns. They, they involve um, sort of the, the, the health of our democracy and, in Trump's case, the health of our democracy and foreign policy, foreign national alliance stuff. It's not a uh, sex in the in the Oval Office, bad as that may be. Um, so, I, or it could you, be good. No, I, I'm sorry, that was too easy. Uh, let, we'll, we'll edit. We'll edit that out without, I will without, leave without, it. without my comment. Um, no, but what I'm saying is that that if the if what has been alleged against the president is is proven to be true, then it not only violates the framework of our democratic constitutional processes of fair elections, but it also holds our foreign policy um, in abeyance while he works out his personal um, uh, needs. That is, in, in, in this case, and I'll try to say this in English, in, in, in this case... Well, that would be good. <laughs> in this case, he is alleged to have withheld military aid until he got dirt on the Biden. So here we have a country, Ukraine, that the United States foreign policy um, is determined to support, to defend itself against uh, Russian uh, aggression, and we are withholding that military aid until he gets dirt on a political opponent. That's a national security concern of mine, because if you or another country it's who shocking. is asking, asking for U.S. assistance um, and you're thinking, well, what am I going to be asked um, in order to obtain it? That, I think, is, a, is very serious. All right. So let's go back to um, one of the things that you mentioned there brought about this statement from several people, all roads lead to Putin. Do you think that there is a, a tie there and is that a concern that the president of the United States is working in cahoots with a, a foreign power who is not an ally? Yeah, it's a great question that I don't know the answer to. Uh, you know, with this president, uh, I'm just not sure, given how transactional he is, whether he's got a, a, a master plan that is based on lots of separate transactions to favor Putin, and if so, for what? personal benefit. Because I think for him, like your story about Mitch McConnell, for the president, everything is about the president. Yes. And so it's hard for me completely to figure what it is that aligning himself with Putin gets him, unless you buy into the theory that they have compromising information on him and that they've known this or that they have been supporting him financially as he's gone from bankruptcy to bankruptcy and that he's beholden to them. And I don't know that I subscribe to that. I, I don't know if I subscribe. I being as close to this president as I have been over the last three years, it could be something as simple as he smiled and he likes me. I mean, so I would, I would, you know, I just like the guy. I mean, I think that sometimes I get the feeling this president has very little strategy or as, you know, one of his aides once told me, he goes, we don't have strategy around here. You give us too much credit. Um, and that's I, what your question sort of implies, yeah, is that he's got some long-term strategy, strategy right. and I'm not so sure that I've seen evidence of that. And I agree. I, I think he flies by the seat of his pants for the most part. The other thing is we had mentioned earlier, though, the Mueller report. And um, as damning as that was and, it was, and for those who subscribe to the theory that there was nothing there and it, and it was a quote-unquote nothing burger, I advise you to read it. And uh, please, you know, draw your own conclusions if you're 
capable of reading and having a cogent thought, there are multiple, at least 10 counts in there, I believe, that could be obstruction of justice. And yet the Democrats have not used that uh, in this impeachment inquiry. Why do you think that is? I don't know the answer to the question, but one could say this, that the committees that are leading the investigation inquiry, foreign affairs, uh, oversight and intelligence, don't really have domain over obstruction of justice. That's within House Judiciary. So for all we know, Representative Nadler and the House Judiciary Committee are hard at work on an article of impeachment or two based on the obstruction of justice findings in the Mueller report. We won't know that until the end of the inquiry when they um, put all the evidence together and make a determination whether or not um, articles of impeachment and for what those should be um, put forth. Remember, in so you most think cases, they could be. Oh, sure, sure. And in, in, in because Nancy Pelosi has come out and said, "Look, we're just looking at right now. We're just looking at this. We're just looking at uh, the Ukraine." And and that may be correct. That right now, that's what they are looking at. But before the process ends, that might not be the end of the their consideration. Yeah. And in fact, if you look at Nixon and um, Clinton, both there were multiple articles of a consider of impeachment that were considered and rejected in the House. And sometimes people say, well, you have to give people something to reject so they can say, I rejected, you know, I resisted these right. articles of impeachment, except for the, the last two sort of face-saving way of proceeding. So we'll see whether these impeachment articles contain an obstruction of justice allegation. Do you, yeah, that would be interesting. Do you think that, so, you, so to be clear, you think they could still use the Mueller report for uh, impeachment, articles of impeachment. Sure. The, the Mueller report stands there as a uh, document. Because everyone is, is dismissing it as, you know, it's done, it's over with. Well, it, you know, that's a you know, that's a political uh, calculation. They may say that it, it's done and, and buried because no politician wants to resurrect it. But if you're looking at it from the standpoint of House judiciary and whether or not there were violations of law that merit the article of impeachment for obstruction of justice, there's plenty of evidence to be found in the Mueller report. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, so uh, when we come back, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to look at uh, the future going forward. Where do you think we're headed? Um, how do you think, what what does the landscape look like? And um, what exactly uh, do you think the president can do to keep from being censored or, or, or impeached and removed. So that's when we come back. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Just Ask the Question. Michael, before we, uh, well, while we were on the break, we talked a little bit about uh, something that we kind of want to hit on before we look at the future, and that is the argument about uh, no quid pro quo. Now, <laughs> why, and, and I guess I want to hit this again, why do we need any more evidence that the president, and it's not quid pro quo, but used his power for personal gain, he has admitted it on the South Lawn. I was standing five feet from him when he encouraged China 
to investigate Biden. Um, his statements that he put out that are um, their memos, but uh, was first reported as a uh, transcription of the telephone call that shows that he was trying to use his power for personal gain. You have the testimony of Ambassador Taylor, and you also have our, the acting chief of staff, uh, Mick Mulvaney, who's just said, get over it. And and the uh, Republicans now still claiming that there is no quid pro quo. Is there enough damning evidence already? And what's the deal with quid pro quo? Right. Starting with what is the deal with quid pro quo? Quid pro quo, something for something, as it's translated, means essentially bribery or extortion. I will. It's a criminal act. Right. I will sell to the highest bidder the vacated Obama Senate seat, as uh, Governor Blagojevich uh, <laughs> promised, and he's in jail for that. So yeah. he had a constitutional obligation uh, to, to appoint somebody. He decided he would appoint it to the person who would give him the most money. That's Quid, some, money, pro quo, seat. Something for something. Right. I'll give you the seat. You give, give me, me the money. The money. Here, the allegation is you want your military aid. You want your meeting at the White House. You give me your investigation, uh, my, the, the investigation I want of the Bidens. That's something for something. And it's arguably um, a violation of the Hobbs Act, a criminal law that prohibits that sort of conduct, or it's without a violation of criminal law, nonetheless, an abuse of the constitutional authorities that your office gives you. That's is, this is what Hamilton spoke of, the abuse of the powers of your office for personal gain. And so I think that it's a false, you know, sort of test that is being put forward, that if we don't have a criminal law provable violation, there is no violation of the powers of your office and therefore no impeachment. I think that's just a, a false argument. You can do things that violate the oath of your office, the powers that are, are, are vested in you, um, without violating the criminal laws of the United States. In the history of the other crimes and misdemeanor language, in um, the impeachment uh, clauses in the Constitution are quite explicit about that. And I believe it was Gerald Ford who once said that an impeachable offense is exactly what Congress determines is an impeachable offense. Yeah, he did say that. And I'm not a big fan of, of Gerald Ford's statement, meaning <laughs> in, 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 in how that arose was Gerald Ford, while a congressman, was trying to impeach the liberal uh, uh, liberal Supreme Court Justice Douglas. Yes. And and he was essentially trying to impeach him because of his liberal views and, and he felt immorality because he kept marrying younger and younger people as he was getting older and older. And Ford filed, you know, for articles of impeachment. And the congressman asked Ford, what's the crime, essentially, or what is the conduct? He didn't ask the word crime. What is the conduct that gives rise to an article of impeachment in this case? And that's where Ford gave that sort of I think, sort of snarky answer. Right. It's whatever we determine it to be. I, I don't think that's right. It's not whatever they determine it to be. It has to be based on you know constitutional precepts which require an abuse of one's office. And, and But to his point, isn't it their interpretation of high crimes and misdemeanors? Yeah, but I think you still need conduct that is, you know, sort of 
defined as an abuse of the powers of your office. I don't think uh, you I can, agree with I that. don't think you can you can impeach him on policy grounds. So for example, you take Syria. Exactly. Yeah. You take Syria people are for or against whatever his Syrian policy is. I don't, I don't know th- if he knows what his Syrian policy is, but that's a different story. <laughs> but but policy differences should not give rise to articles of impeachment. They should give rise to elections and, and exactly. determinations by the American people as to who they want in, in that whatever office it is. So it's clearly not, it shouldn't be about policy. It should be about bad behavior, criminal law violations not being a prerequisite, bad behavior, abuse of power is what one has to think about. It. Did When you think about this question, you want to ask yourself if you're a listener and you're trying to decide what do you think, you have to ask yourself, did what the president is alleged to have done, as testified to by all the people that you outlined, did what the president did, which was to ask a country to investigate his political rival for his personal game, violate the trust that is given to him when elected president? And if so, then that should be enough for them to conclude that there is a uh, an article of impeachment inquiry that's absolutely um, at, on display. And that particular move, as Republicans define it, was, look, I w- this was the policy of the, uh, of the American government, and we were just ferreting out corruption by the Bidens. Yeah. And so can I, can I interrupt you one second yeah. to say something about that? Because I yeah, want to make a point I, before, I, before I get it. The, the allegation is that direct military assistance um, – uh, would would not be provided as Congress voted for until there was a public announcement of the investigation into the Bidens by Zelensky. Now, my years as a prosecutor tell me that generally speaking, when you're about to initiate I mean, the, the, the an investigation, the time you served as a <laughs> the time I served as a prosecutor, exactly. During the time I served as a prosecutor, my experience tells me that if you're going to initiate an investigation. You do not ask for a public statement about that initiation. <laughs> you tend to keep that to yourself. And, and, and so the, the, the allegation You're is very that, understated in your response. Well, yeah, I want to tell you that, Michael. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's all upbringing. God bless you. But that's a very good – that's a valid point, isn't it? I mean you, you tend to not declare these things publicly. Well, that's right. And so when, when the defense is put forward that – the president of the United States was only looking to clean up corruption. I don't think you need that to be a public pronouncement. I think that that is something that is is, is done, you know, sort of cautiously and quietly um, so that the people who you are about to investigate don't get wind of it and do uh, have the ability to do things to interfere with that investigation. So I'm very suspicious of the fact that he wanted a public pronouncement of this investigation. That spanks, you know, sort of smacks of politics to me and and not uh, and personal, policy. Yeah, personal politics. politics. Right. Exactly. That's I, right. I agree. If it were national politics, it would not be that big a deal. The um, All right. So let's move forward. Where do you see – and we've talked a little bit about April or – but it, maybe it, it goes that far. But let's walk through the mechanisms of where we are. We have an inquiry into impeachment. It's an impeachment inquiry. He has not impeached. So what happens with the inquiry? Where does it go from the inquiry 
how do you get from inquiry to impeachment or dropping of the case or censure? Right. So the way it's set up is that the House has sole authority to investigate matters pertaining to impeachment. So they are investigating. And if they've determined uh, at the end of their investigation, and hopefully there'll be a public component to this because the public really has to be on board with what is you know, sort of the nuclear option in our Constitution. And how do you foresee a public involvement? What are you, what are you uh, well, outlining there? Watergate-styled hearings, hearings yep. where, where witnesses testify in public. You know, so they're gathering now. If you think about it by analogy to, to, uh, to a criminal process, there's sort of a grand jury going on now. Which is what we've got. Yeah. And that's and, – and to be honest, that's the way it happens. When they say that they're, this isn't happening in the public and it's violating the Constitution – this is the way you gather evidence. This is how you do it. Right. So they're gathering evidence. There are three committees who are taking depositions. At the deposition are staff from both Republican and Democratic sides and members from both Democratic and Republican sides. So the notion that the Republicans are somehow being shut out of this is is not true. The people who are not invited. Or BS. <laughs> well, the people who are not invited into the room are not members of those three committees, but there are amply represented members of both sides in those rooms as well as staff. So they're taking the but evidence. But there's, no there's no one from the president who's there. That's what his point is. Well, the president doesn't get there yet. Yeah, we're, we're we're, not, we're, that's putting the cart before the horse, right. is it not? They, they, they do the investigation. This is the quiet evidence gathering phase of it. I would, you know, be happier if there were no leaks, but that's not, you know, realistic with Congress. They gather <laughs> they gather evidence. You're then, kind. Then they then they meet and they um should have a public discussion of whether or not this evidence um, is worthy of an article of impeachment. I would like there to be Watergate-styled hearings where witnesses are called and we all get to watch them and each member of that committee gets a right of cross-examination. And, you know, to say that the president isn't represented is, is you know, a bit fanciful because he got plenty of people who advocate on his behalf in those rooms. So he is represented in, in, in fact if not, you know, otherwise in, 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 in that room. If, by, if the Congress, if the House of Representatives votes an article of impeachment, then it goes over to the Senate, and then there is a trial, and there's examination and cross-examination, and the Supreme Court Justice, the Chief Judge, um, Roberts presides over that trial, and there's a, a real trial. And then they so, vote. And then if they vote um, to remove by um, two-thirds majority, the the person is removed. If, as, as in the case of Clinton, they don't reach that two-thirds majority, then he has been impeached, if you will, indicted, right. but not convicted slash removed. So once we have – so after this initial hearing stage, this inquiry, at some point in time before we have a vote for impeachment, you would recommend public hearings on what we're is going on privately. Correct. I would I would recommend that there be a, a full vote of the House, that there be public. Is it required? No, but I, again, because it's not a criminal trial, because it's a uh, nuclear option, because the American people have to be behind it. I think that. Um, Transparency and disclosure is really what is called for in this. I think any effort to railroad anything through is a mistake. It's a mistake in this case, and it's a mistake for the future. 
Yeah. So that all right. So there are those who think that uh, Nancy Pelosi is taking her time with uh, this particular investigation because the longer it takes, the more Donald Trump twists in the wind. Do you find that to be accurate or no? Yeah, I don't know. I th- I think that um, normally speaking, if you're a investigator, a prosecutor, an inquirer, the person as to whom you are making that inquiry doesn't get to dictate to you the terms of your inquiry. And I think that <laughs> Pelosi is saying essentially, look, I'm in charge of this investigation and I will determine the rules by which we will investigate. Now, if those rules are trans- un- are transparent and, and, and um, perceived to be fair, then she'll have the, uh, the the people supporting her. If it's not, then people will find it to be, you know, as uh, one of the president's defenders called it, a kangaroo court. How, you know, <laughs> Someone in response said that's not fair to kangaroos. But yeah. well, I mean, the one that I got know? me, the one that got me was uh, Matt Gates saying it was a kangaroo court, like an evil Captain Kangaroo. He had no clue what a kangaroo court was. Yeah. Well, I, I liked a Captain Kangaroo <laughs> growing too. up. He seemed like a merry old man. Yeah. You know? That's that's not fair. There's heirs. There's a defamation lawsuit for you. There you go. So how do you think the the Democrats have handled the inquiry so far? How would you characterize it? I would give them, you know, in the in the B range on a, uh, you know, ABC uh, fail um, basis. I I think that, as I said, I don't like leaks out of the committee. I I would have preferred that um, Congressman Schiff, when he initiated the one public hearing, didn't do that. Uh, whatever parody. parody as they as they called it, I, I think these are. See, I thought that are, was a horrible mistake. Yeah, I think these are these are serious matters should be taken seriously and 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 should be done um, soberly. And I think that there's too much emotion that's running through this on both sides of the aisle. But since the Democrats are in charge, they they get to control um, the 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 messaging. And I think that they could have done a better job so far. What do you think about Matt Gates and his merry band of travelers uh, storming the? Uh, uh, citadel today and disrupting hearings. It's theater. There, there's no merit to anything that those guys said. They are in the room, you know, to use the yeah. play from the, the, the line from Hamilton, I want to be at the table. They yeah. are at the table. They're in the room. Um, they have um, staff and members who represent their point of view there, and they have no place in those in those. Uh, meeting rooms and so this was just theater you know and that you know to you know, if you asked me how are the republicans doing and i said the democrats are in the you know sort of the b ish b minus range i think the republicans are are, are a little bit worse <laughs> yeah what kind of grade would you give them well i mean i think that they have a difficult case responding to the democrats but you know again i think they're in this b minus c plus Range. You're you're kind to both. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I was always an easy grader. I guess. <laughs> the question I've been dying to ask you is: John Bolton said um, at some point in time, and 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 I'm asking this for for the audience who doesn't know, as the deputy chief narcotics and dangerous drug section chief, you, that you were. John Bolton re- uh, looked at this shadow diplomacy in 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 the Ukrainian uh, embassy as a uh, he characterized it as a drug deal. Yeah, he did. That's what he called it. And I think um, Bolton is going to be a very important witness here. From what we can gather from what Bolton has said is that he was very alarmed by this private foreign policy that Giuliani and his associates in cahoots with, you know, Volcker and, 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 and Sondland and maybe 
Perry um, were carrying on, and and he called it essentially a drug deal. And, and you know, a drug deal isn't uh, you know a quid pro quo of something for something. <laughs> yeah. Then I, I don't know what it is. And so, for, well, you would know. Uh, well, you, you you do know that when he calls it that, it's not a, it's not a compliment, and, <laughs> and 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 it implies you know quite clearly something illegal. Yeah, and and so we'll have to hear from um, Bolton to see what about it so offended him. But but calling something a drug deal is calling something uh, to be an, uh, a secret illegal, illegal act transaction exactly. Yeah. And is there anyone else you think we should hear from that we haven't heard from or should uh, should be brought before Congress? Well, I'm of, of two minds about the whistleblower. You know, I, I think it's paramount of paramount importance that the whistleblower's identity be protected. And the president's, um, you know, claims that he wants to meet the, the whistleblower just flies in the face of what whistleblower <laughs> protection law is all about. But I think I think it would be good to hear if we could protect the whistleblower's identity. It would be good to hear from the whistleblower. I also think it would be good to hear from the people that the inspector general in the intelligence community talked to in order to make a determination that this was an urgent uh, or non-urgent um, uh, matter. So I think there are people who still have facts that are firsthand as to what was going on that we need to, to hear from as it relates to this Ukraine um, proposition. Sounds good. When we come back, a few final thoughts. Um, I've I, I got to ask you where you think it's going to end up. And then, of course, there has to be at least one music question in here. So when we come back, we'll be right back. We're back, and Michael, just a few final thoughts. Uh, do you think the president of the United States will be removed from office? Not yet. I don't think the evidence um, is sufficient to convince the number of Republican senators, uh, should this get to the Senate, that warrant that removal is warranted. So I don't see, as we called it earlier in the in the show, I don't see any profiles encouraged yet in in the Senate. But we've got a ways to go. Boy, he's acting awfully. Bad for a man who thinks he's going to. I mean, I just remember Clinton was still able to work with Congress. He was impeached. He was still able to separate that and still. And this guy has not been able to uh, to spend a day in office without being obsessed with this. And I mean, maybe that's his personality. But it makes you wonder what else is out there that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, and I, I don't know about whether there's um, stuff out there that he's worried about, and that's why he's so agitated. I do think you're absolutely right, though, that this president, unlike Clinton, has not been able to compartmentalize. He's not able to be the president of the United States and be the target of an inquiry. Clinton was able to do both of those things simultaneously. All the president is able to do at the moment is rail against the, you know, the, the interrogators, uh, whether it be at a political rally or on Twitter or at, on the South Lawn and, you know, to you. <laughs> and and I, I think that is is not good. I think he has to be the president of the United States because there are important things that the president of the United States has to do every day beyond, you know, tweeting. He did take credit for putting out the fire that he started today, but that's I don't even know if that fire's out in the Middle East, but the, uh, the fire that um, was put out by 
um, Syria and Russia well, agreeing yeah. that they will fill the void that was uh, left by our precipitous <laughs> removal of troops. That, yeah, that, that, yeah that, that fire. Yeah, just wondering which fire <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> well, with this president, it could be any fire on, or many fires on any given day. And then, of course, I can't let you out of here without asking you if you could have if you could see one band that's not around that you, you weren't able to see. If you could cut, bring them back for one performance, who'd you who would you like to see? It's a very good question. I I don't think I don't think I got to see um, Led Zeppelin perform, and I would have liked to have, have seen them. Although you know, part of me, uh, though he's playing and he's perpetually on tour, and you can see him. Um, I'm looking forward to Bob Dylan singing, even the President of the United States sometimes has to stand naked. <laughs> I, I want to hear him. <laughs> Highway 61 Revisited. That's the one I want to hear again. Uh, and, you're, and you? Who, who would you Who would you want to hear? That's You know, that's a good... Uh, um, I'd love to see Led Zeppelin. I would. Um, I, I The original band, of yeah, course. Yeah, the original band. I did see them, but it was in 78. I think it was, or 77. And... I would like to see him like around 71, you know, when they were just, when they were really hitting their stride. So I saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium. I would love to, well, okay, and, th- and, you and, got and, me. And I went to Woodstock, so I was at both of those places. Woodstock, really? you could actually hear the musicians. In, in Shea Stadium, you, you could see the Beatles, but you couldn't <laughs> hear them. So maybe my answer should be, I'd like to have seen the Beatles in a venue where I could actually have heard them. Oh. You know, maybe the Cavern Club or someplace. Yeah, I would, well, that was... Um, that was one thing I, I told someone once is I, I don't want to see a group like that in a stadium. I would love to have seen the Beatles at the Cavern Club. I'll yeah. take that back. I th- or Led Zeppelin in the Cavern – or just a bar setting, a an intimate setting with a good band. Is, is So, yeah, all right. Beatles, Beatles in the Cavern Club. You got me. All right. <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's get that time <laughs> yeah, machine out. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, this is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time.